0: To turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson.
1: Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies this phrase. Olympic gold medalist Antoine Maybank is hard to keep up with not only on the track but off. He has proven his drive, adaptability, and time management skills in many ways over the years and over the course of his career, but his greatest strength lies in the ability to consistently motivate those around him. His dedication to track and field elevated him to the world stage winning gold at the 1995 World University Championships, University Games, sorry, and the 200-meter dash, and the 4x400-meter relay He then took home gold again at the 1996 Olympic Games in the 4x400 meter relay. Now, despite a packed schedule, and he's here with us today, he is not only concentrated on his own personal goals, but he has continued to strive to improve the communities around him. He serves as the co-chair of the Marketing Committee for the National Academy of Finance Benefiting Youth College Participation at Howard High School. Through his business, Champion Body Strength Training, he has created a program To motivate youth called body outgoing dynamic youth. The acronym is body. Furthermore, he leads week long track programs for underprivileged youth at the Sacro International Coaching Seminar and Clinic in the U.S. Virgin Islands and the Native Vision Sports and Life Skills Camp at the Navajo Reservation in Farmington, New Mexico. Antoine, I know that was a mouthful and I apologize. There's just so much that you do and there's so many things that you're doing currently. So thank you so much for being here today and. We were introduced together by our mutual friend, Emily Kwok. She's amazing. She's incredible. And then getting to have some time with you is just fantastic. So thank you for your time and thank
2: you for all that you're doing for the community around you. Thank you for having me here. It's an amazing honor and pleasure to meet you as well, Marcus. Emily spoke so highly about you. And when she gave us the opportunity to even have this interaction I was super excited just to sit down and even hear your side of the story because she's got a big story herself and she's always big on promoting others, which is a huge thing. I agree. And people at a certain level, they always
1: want to introduce people to other in that kind of situation. And what I have found is that there are some people that are fantastic athletes or warriors or competitors, but that becomes their identity. And then it's hard for them to let go of that, or it's hard for them to embrace other arenas of their life. But, and we'll get into this, but you've been able to actually not only be at this, the zenith of this achievement, but then you were able to say, you know what? What else can I do? How else can I give back? What more can I do with this knowledge that I've acquired and earned in such a hard way? So if you would give us a, sort of a rundown, you have some siblings when you were growing up, but talk about how that sort of influenced you and then. Tell us kind of the backstory that led us into the Olympic champion and then the man that we're speaking to today.
2: Well, I come from an extremely large family—five sisters, two brothers. <laughs> so with that in mind, I was always someone an independent person because I was all the way down at the bottom. I only had two siblings younger than myself. I was a younger brother and a younger sister. So i I was the guy always doing other things. And everyone else who was older than me was my sisters because my older brother was so much more older than I was that he was already gone from the house. So it was, it was me and just women in a house until my younger brother came. So was, I was by myself for a long time. And, but it it's, was a learning experience because being in a house full of women gives you a different perspective on how to interact with women, how you treat women, how you respect women, and. I said, these guidelines that I was granted growing up in South Carolina, my family made me the person that I am today. So I, I take honor and umbrage in growing up in a household of women because they, they've taught me so much.
1: Yeah. They helped you develop in ways that you wouldn't have developed if it had just been strictly a male oriented household. And that's,
2: I think that's a, a big testament to what you're doing today. Mm, absolutely. Cause it's, I find out that when I'm interacting with my daughter, she is one hundred percent a a daddy's girl, and I appreciate that so much. <laughs> so, so she she always comes to me and asks for my my guidance and my my information, my opinion on things, and, and I love it. My son asks me for my opinions. My daughter she is she is always constantly on the phone, and I think I appreciate that so much because she has her mother that she go to, but she she sees me as someone who's going to give her some different opinions that has a different spin than the female perspective. So, which is huge for me.
1: Yeah, that's the beauty of having both of those sides to kind of look at the coin from. And as we see so, so often, if we only see it from one side, then that means we're often blinded to the other opportunities from the other viewpoint. And so was track always a love for you? You were always athletic growing up?
2: Track was, was a, I guess, a journey. That's what I would call it a journey because at a young age, I knew that I was not or my family was not going to be able to pay for college. So I had to figure out what I needed to do to be able to go to college. So I tried every sport imaginable. And that's that's one of the things I speak to the kids about. I tried soccer first, tried baseball, tried boxing, tried football. And when I landed on track, it was the perfect fit. It's simply because I can just hold myself accountable for my success in that sport. The other sports, they're great. They help with team building, working together with others. But track itself, it is a solitaire sport with the exception of running relays. You can get out and your, your acceleration, your greatness comes from how much you're willing to commit to the sport itself, how much you're willing to make choices to actually benefit you overall. So track was like a way for me to get out, exert that additional energy and grow as a person because with track, it's it's time management. That's how I look at it when I speak to kids because it's down to the the hundreds and thousands of seconds. So that that's another reason that I love track is because it teaches you how important Every moment is in life that you have.
1: Yes. Even that half second can be the difference between not only success and failure, but living a fulfilled life or living a life of quiet desperation and compromise. Exactly. I truly agree. And so the things that you learned as an Olympic athlete, I know that that serves you in every arena that you enter now. Can you give us just an idea of a few of the bullet points of these disciplines that you learned, or again, this idea of time management that you apply to every part of your life, the things that you're teaching others now with
2: all the work that you're doing? Well, one thing with track that I've learned over the years, it's it's giving back, sharing information. One thing with, just like with my other colleagues and coaches, we share information. Each sport is basically knowledge. It is constantly changing. And the more information that you accumulate, the more value you can actually pass on to everyone else. I mean, you're going to accumulate that value But what is value if you can't share that value with others and make them grow as well with you? And with me, it was just bringing in someone else and I share like my captains on my team, my track team. I said, whatever we learn here today, you use the same information and you distribute this information to your teammates so that they in turn also know what you know. Because as a whole, if we all are creating thinking, and we can actually solve problems as a group, we're actually going to be more successful as a whole. One person can't have all the knowledge and expect the entire team to be successful and grow. But when you share with everyone else and everyone else gives a turn to give their opinions and everyone starts bouncing those opinions off the wall, then we come up with the best alternative that's going to make us all successful.
1: I love that. And it's so important also because. Especially in today's world, there's plenty of inputs, there's plenty of knowledge, there's plenty of great knowledge out there. But sometimes, if we have too much knowledge and we don't act on it, it's the equivalent of having ignorance of the subject in the first place. So, as you're asking these people, these team captains, you're building more leaders as a leader. You're saying, listen, I want to hold you accountable. And if they just say, I'm going to listen to what he says, that's great. But when you say, no, I want you to listen to what I'm saying, take notes, process this and now teach it to somebody else, that gives them a much higher level, almost uh, the first few steps of mastery of that material than if they were just to say, yeah, we went, we had a good time, and we ran, and we got all sweaty, and then we had a laugh at the end, and it was all done, and it was a great time. I can't wait for the next one. You want to give them that accountability to pinpoint, again, the precision, just like with track, just like with everything, it has to have a destination, a metric to hold you accountable to. And if you can do that, that's what elevates them as leaders.
2: It's funny that you say the word listen. It's because when I say something to my athletes, I repeat it three times. (laughs) It's because they hear me, but are you truly listening? Because if you're listening to me, you're going to respond in turn with something from what I've said. I'm just not looking to be someone who's going to be speaking to hear myself. I want to hear what your opinions are. I want to know what I'm teaching you. If you're absorbing it, so not only that, you're telling me what it is, but you're going to share it with someone else who's going to need help later on. That's the most important fact there is you being able to share what we've actually learned together with someone else who needs assistance later on. It's
1: also something that's, that's powerful as a, as a leader, as a teacher. In martial arts, we say, one, teach, but two, learn. So I've had situations where I've taught a class and I've seen everybody in the class to the, each person making the same mistake. And I'm like, why are they doing that? And then if I look at myself in the mirror, they're good students. I'm a bad coach. I was doing the wrong thing. So that helps me stay accountable. It's like, why are they all making the same mistake? So that helps me learn. That helps me not pass on that bad habit to them. Because again, if they're good, they're going to do what we do, whether it's the right thing or not, because they don't know any better. So that is very important for, for us as a leader. Again, if you're teaching this stuff and then they're not responding or you're like, why are they doing that? It's like, oh, maybe it's the source.
2: Yes, and that's, I mean, we, we have a lot in common. I, I like this story. <laughs> we have a lot in common. So what I always indicate to my athletes is, okay, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to get in and do it with you so that you're not going through this by yourself. I need you to understand whatever you're experiencing, I'm going to experience with you. I'm going to have that shared experience so that we, as a group, grow and know what's happening. What it feels like. This is how success feels. This is how the process feels to get to that point of success. So it's never just me saying, do this, do that. I mean, some of the worst things that my athletes regret saying to me is, coach, why don't you get in and do it with me? And I said, all right, I put on my spikes, let's go. And that's why I think one of the biggest parts of respect is with my sport and my athletes is because They know I know how they feel. They know that at any given point when we're doing our workouts, I'm in it with them. So if one of my athletes is falling behind, I jump in, I give them motivation, and I run with them so that they can feel they're not by themselves, so they can push through and feel stronger. It's it's the mental part. Most of the workouts, it's not the physical aspect. It's the mental part that you have to overcome because if you are comfortable doing something, there is no growth. But when you're uncomfortable, you're creating different pathways on how you're supposed to make different changes and actually grow and increase and be more successful.
1: See, and that's so important, having these micro adversities, these little things that help us move forward. And a lot of people think that it has to be this huge goal, but lots of times the, the monumental is achieved by these incremental things that you're talking about, these small steps, whether it be, even when you were talking about the responsibility of being an athlete, you know, your level of hydration, your nutrition, how much sleep are you getting? How much are you trying to rehab yourself to, to recover? These things, they all make a huge difference. And at the highest level, especially at the level that you were at, that you are at and that you're teaching people, that can be the difference between being that 98% and 99%. And that's what separates victory from defeat.
2: Here's a story. I always tell my, my kids because I've got, I've got four really deep core friends that I used to compete with in college internationally and at the games. And once a year, one of my friends, he sends a photo and he posts it online and it's, it's to make me aware of what I wasn't paying attention to. And it was the fact that he beat me in a race that I should have won hands down. And it was not like a small race. It was it was our NCAA Nationals. And each year he posts a photo so that I can understand and remind me that, hey, nothing is actually guaranteed. You have to go out and work hard every single day. As soon as you ease up, that means the next person who's working just as hard as you, they will make a small progression and move forward. So constantly, each time, no matter if we're just making small steps, we always have to find a way to move forward and figure out how we're going to progress, not only physically, but mentally, and at the same time, share that information again.
1: That's it. Like you said, by sharing that information, it reinforces it again to us. And dare I say, as we get higher up in these levels of of skill sets or even mastery, Sometimes it's not about learning things. Sometimes it's about remembering things that we took for granted. If we take an opponent or an event for granted with this assumption, with this hubris, it can often come back and catch us.
2: Yes, uh, most definitely. You, you said we're remembering things, which is another good thing. I mean, we're, we're just hitting it off. <laughs> <laughs> we're hitting it off. Kindred spirits. I love it. <laughs> so I always tell my athletes, I had a conversation with one of my athletes on Monday. And she's not having the best year that she anticipated. She says last year, she, she was doing extremely well. This year, she's not getting to that point. So I said, we have muscle memory. So if you've done it before in the past, we just need to figure out how we're going to get back to that same point. It's not that you can't do it. We just haven't figured out that specific plan that we're going to get to that point and be successful. But that doesn't mean we're not going to get there. That just means we need to work a little bit harder talk about it, and figure out how we're going to get there. It's not if, but when and how we get there.
1: That adversity often is what tests us. That adversity is what reminds us of the lessons that we've lost. The reason why it hurts so much is because it's trying to get our attention and say, hey, are you listening? Okay, now that I have your attention and now that you're in pain and you broke all this other cycle, pay attention to this. And I'm going to keep doing this until you figure it out. And like you said, you're able to be there to show that to them. Because you've lived it. You've experienced it
2: at the at the highest level. Another one of my saying is, I'm gonna make you comfortable being uncomfortable, which is you're always gonna be in a state of movement. Your muscles are always gonna be in a state of firing so that you get used to being at a a competitive high level for so long that when you relax, it'll just be natural for you to walk out and it happens. It's not that you're going out and just running fast all the time or competing at a really high level all the time. It's that you've trained so hard for this one moment that when you walk out, you don't think about it. It's just instinctively happening. You step there and before you even know it, you look up and everything is over and you've already accomplished the goals that you were training for all the time.
1: You're, you're in that flow state. When, when you and I were speaking before about Bruce Lee says, I don't hit. It hits all by itself. It's the same thing. You've done it so often. It's just part of you. It's like breathing. But a lot of people want to get to that level, but they don't understand how much time it takes, how much investment, how many, even before an Olympic or before a fight, the months leading up to it are often more difficult than the actual event itself. And that's where we learn the most about ourselves, right?
2: Yes. We, we learn a lot about ourselves. The the biggest part of my training for me personally and where I try to work with my athletes, is always mental. I am constantly talking to them. It's because it's making them aware that they can accomplish things that they don't know they can accomplish yet. So me, my job is to make sure that their confidence level, if it's low, even though they might be in the fittest shape of their life, they might not compete well. But mentally, if they've actually played this this process over in their head, seeing that they're going to accomplish their goals, they're going to be in a state that they can actually walk out and not have any negative thoughts that's going to distract them and make them turn a veer off course.
1: Yeah. And that's wasting energy mentally, emotionally, physically that could be applied. And again, it may not seem very much, but man, at those levels where quarters of a second matter, it can be all the difference in the world. So when a person sees an Olympic level athlete like yourself, a gold medalist, what is the biggest misconception that people have of
2: you? biggest misconception is the first question I get all the time. What were the sacrifices that you made? And with me, I never see anything as a sacrifice. I see choices that I make so that I can achieve my goals. Every choice has a reaction that's moving forward for me. A sacrifice meaning you're taking something out that you really want, but a choice means you're making a decision that's going to make you go forward, add another step, then another step, then another step without feeling that you actually took something away, but you're adding value when you make a choice versus a sacrifice where so you're taking something away. That's the biggest misconception. And I said, okay, even through middle school, high school, and college, every choice I made from me hanging out with friends versus training, me... Eating a better diet versus just eating something that's going not going to be beneficial to achieving my goals. Those were choices that I made. I mean, I grew up in South Carolina, so we had hearty meals all the time. So, I mean, in my experiences, each place that I've lived in my life gave me a different perspective on how I'm eating. South Carolina, I eat a lot of different heavy foods. I moved to Iowa in college. I changed my diet up a little bit and I started eating a lot better, less meat, more rich protein vegetables. I moved from Iowa to Los Angeles. That completely changed what I was eating altogether. And then when I moved from Los Angeles to Paris, everything turned upside down. So <laughs> everything turned upside down. And I was like, okay, that diet that I learned when I was living in France I still eat that way today. The biggest difference that I've made in my life is the knowledge that I've gained. Like right now, I'm a vegetarian. And all my friends are looking at me like, if you don't eat meat, something's wrong. And we need all the protein from the meat. <laughs> but with me, what I've learned over the last couple of years is that I can eat protein dense meals with all vegetables because most of the animals that they're eating, they're eating the protein that's from the vegetables anyway. So it's, perspective on things and i made a choice to not eat meat and it's it's turned out to be one of the best decisions i've made in my life right now yeah that was a
1: decision not a sacrifice right exactly a decision that was part one of my interview with olympic gold medalist educator and motivational speaker antoine maybank you can hear part two of the interview on the next episode of octanon verba where antoine returns to discuss how in the moment adversity requires long-term mindset strategies. Antoine also shares how to elevate yourself to the level of your own expectations, how he learned to fully trust himself after recovering from an injury, and the common mistake of letting adversity become your ceiling. Until next time, live a life of
0: actions, not words. Live a life of Octa Nonverba. Thank you for listening to this episode of Octa Nonverba.